are excited to welcome you to another episode of Live to Give More. We will discuss ways to have impact in our communities and around the world. We will introduce our audience to inspiring ideas and people who are making significant changes. Together, we will navigate how we can all serve others and spread kindness. We decided to create this podcast in order to do our part and give our listeners ways to take action and be the change. My name is Anna G. Ehrlich. I'm a wife, mom, marketing and events professional who serves the nonprofit world in many capacities. My name is Elise Sheck Bonwit, and I'm a wife, mom, attorney, author, and business owner who has been fortunate to serve in leadership roles and volunteer opportunities through several nonprofit organizations. My motto is give more than you take. We are friends who have a variety of experiences, skills, and opinions that will make you think, cry, reflect, and smile, but most importantly, expose you to special ways to give back. We will inform you about what is going on in the world and what you need to know about how to make a difference. So let's get started. The Optimist Club Overtown was established in 1993 as a community safe haven for children during the critical out-of-school hours. The Optimist Club has had a long-term collaborative partnership with the City of Miami as its exclusive community provider at the Theodore Gibson Park located within the heart of Overtown, Miami. The vision is to increase student and family access to affordable, high-quality youth development enrichment and programming. The Optimist provides sports programming, academic advisement, character education, social emotional learning, and civic engagement. We are excited to interview our guest today, Aisha Haney, Executive Director, the Overtown Optimist Club. Aisha, welcome to our podcast today. We are very excited to have you here with us. I want to just start by asking you to give us a little bit of information, a little bit of background on you, a little bit of your story that you would share with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I'll give you a a short snippet of my history. So I started my nonprofit journey actually working on Capitol Hill. I was an undergrad in college. I was interested in political science, and I went to my local congressional office in seeking an internship. So I was able to get it. I worked on Capitol Hill for four years as an intern, and then when I graduated, they hired me as a legislative assistant. I loved it. So it was kind of like crafting legislation and kind of all these movers and shakers, and and it was amazing, but I quickly found, like, "Mm, this is really isn't it. But while I was there, I was able to work on a piece of legislation with former Senator Paul Wellstone, who was working on mental health parity. And I fell in love with it. So pretty quickly, I started to look at kind of this community of kind of haves and have nots and looking at justices and injustices in in a different way. And so that opened me up to kind of the world of the nonprofit world altruism kind of as a career path. And so I said, I'm going back to school. I want to learn mental health. Right. So I went back UNC Chapel Hill and that's where I got my feet really wet within kind of the mental health psychology area. And that's where I graduated from, from grad school. I loved it. It was an experience that allowed me a few different things. It allowed me to work with people that were just light years smarter than me, right? Like just beyond you know, intelligence. 
And then it allowed me to really kind of dig my teeth into the nonprofit sector in a really in-depth way because they allowed me to write for them in the way of writing grants, research grants for school. And so then that opened up a whole nother kind of pathway for me to be able to tackle injustice, tackle the haves and have nots by finding dollars to that would fund the work. So the next thing I said, okay, well, now that I'm finished school, where am I going to go? So I go to the American Psychological Association. I'm just like, yeah, got to go where it starts, right? And I worked in the education department. So pretty quickly, I knew that I wanted to be a part of the education in influencing how psychology can impact welfare of humans all over. So whether it's children, adults, and then I've been in nonprofits ever since, guys. And so I've done everything from direct service, evaluating kids, psychology, like doing assessments of kids and things like that, to soup kitchens, to, you know, all of those things. It really has informed kind of like how I do this work and what I think needs to be in this work in order for it to work. So anyway, I want to thank you. I've met you before, just so everyone knows. And I want to thank you for being here. I was really excited for people to hear from you and about the amazing things you do. So. Let's get right to it. How did you end up becoming the executive director of the Optimist Club? So interestingly, I was working for another nonprofit and we were doing collaborations with them because we share the same kind of corner within Overtown. We share the same piece of land. And so in us collaborating together, they had a lot of gaps in terms of things that they could do and they could not do. They asked me if I would be interested. Like, would you be interested in helping us? So I started helping them pro bono, just kind of giving them some kind of the guts, the pieces that they would need to start to kind of spread their wings a little bit. They had been around for many, many, many years, but they didn't have the footprint that they desired. So I wanted to kind of help them build out that footprint. And so that's how it started. It started as me just giving a freebie. And then pretty soon after that, I I met with a couple of donors and they were like, might you be interested? And I'm like, I would be. And so it literally happened in the span of about a week. And I was here. Amazing. So give us the mission of your organization, please. What's the mission statement? So the mission of our organization is to increase access to high quality programming for children and families. It's a pretty concise mission, but it's got a lot of breadth and depth to it because we recognize that All of our families have unique needs and some are more complex than others. So some of them may need an after-school partner, right? And their student might also require some tutoring support and they may also have some food insecurity. So we provide meals, their dinner in the evening, we provide their snack. But then also there are some parents that they just want us for the athletic component and that's okay. But we weave in other pieces for them because we recognize that we're more than sports. And I know people think of an optimist couple and they're like, oh, yeah, they do sports. But we're so much more than sports. In fact, I tend to lean on all of the other pieces are far more important than sports. Sports is just a great vehicle, a carrot to kind of get them in the door. So within that question of mission, of what your mission is, how many people are you currently serving through sports and all these different programs? So in a year, we probably serve just south of 500 kids a year. Now, I'll say that sadly, 80 
95% of that is sports engagement. Why do you say it like that? Well, I say that because we're still in the middle of kind of mind shifting, right? We're still in the middle of kind of shifting kind of like cultural thought surrounding what a kid needs in order to be safe and successful. So some parents, I think, because they've seen it happen, some parents think that we keep them safe, we just keep them off the streets and we keep them in an active program during athletic season, we'll do the rest at home. And then other parents recognize that it won't all happen at home. You really do need a network. And so we want to design a culture where we're your kid's first networking opportunity. So Benjamin Hanks is our commissioner and our athletic director. He is a former NFL player, took an injury, played for two year, two NFL teams, had an injury, born and raised in Overtown, decided to come back and work in Overtown. Amazing guy. And he's all love, right? He understands athletics more than anyone that I know in every sport that you can think of. But his goal is to find the kid that doesn't think he needs the Optimist Club and to turn the kid around. So I see him working on the toughest of our kids, which always kind of makes my heart sing because I know if he turns that kid's mind, like if he just shifts that kid just slightly, like that's a bigger, brighter future for them. Another one member of our team is Antonio Sanders. Amazing. So he's an educator by trade, born and raised in Overtown, went away to college, got his degree. He and Ben were best friends. They decided to come back and do it together. So Ben went to Gainesville off to school, got his degree. Tony went to Alabama, got his degree. And then they both just, they just made their way back. And so they've been around now for 17, 18 years, kind of doing this work together. Those are my, probably my key teammates. And what I will say is our approach is collaborative. We can't do this work without getting our hands dirty. Everyone has to have a lot of skin in the game or it just doesn't work. So I call this mission work all the time because it you will not get a lot of thank yous. You get, you'll get some for sure, but you won't get a lot of thank yous but, and you shouldn't look for it. In this kind of case is watching these kids grow up to be successful members of society and hopefully they come back and give back. Yes. And I think that's how this world has to learn how to move forward. That's it. We have to go back into our communities. We have to help, you know, and move the world forward. So, you know what? It's incredible that you have, you know, these two. I'm sure you've got many more leaders that are inspiring. But yes. the two stories you just told us, it's awesome when they come back home because they know the fabric. Nobody knows the fabric of their homes, of their hometowns, like our, you know, our own people. So it, it's amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. And so when I'm coming into it as a transplant, right? So I'm moving here from D.C. And so I've been here six years. It'll, it'll be six years in June. And so I'm kind of like I'm infiltrating the system, right? Like I'm coming in as this person from the outside. But it's such a beautiful thing to have these two guys who kind of like said they were going to keep this Optimus Cup alive and Tony's mentorship program. So he takes kids to college tours and Ben does summer work with all of his players and all of our after school kids. So it's a really beautiful thing to watch. So let's talk a little bit about statistics. Give me something you know, that the audience can hear about numbers, rates. You know, what do sure. we have in that? 
So along the way of that, so I will tell you, we have 1,800 kids in Overtown, well, between babies and let's say 23-year-olds. There's 1,800 kids. And there's a lot of nonprofits in Overtown, but the need is super great. None of us are really scratching the surface, right? I've got my 5600 with varying touches of support. Other organizations have their three, four, five hundred, but we're really all just kind of scratching the surface of the need because 8% of our households are single family households. So that means that the complexities of that family are broad, right? Like, so you're looking at kids that are going home where there's not a parent there because parents still at work, some parents potentially working overnight, parents working two jobs. So they're not even going home to their mom's house. They're going to their grandparents' house. So a lot of grandparents are stepping up. So those are things that have huge implications for where our kids kind of suffer or what they're grappling with, because they'll have an adult figure, but that adult figure, the parenting touch may not be as strong as we need it to be because they're in survival mode, right? Another statistic. So our graduation rates recently spiked, which is amazing, but it spiked during COVID, which has some implications because we know that there were some decisions made to like not test and, you know, to pass some kids on. And so that has some implications for some of our kids who were promoted to the next grade are now deficient. So we're looking at right now in our cohort for after school, 33% of my kids are probably one to two reading levels behind. So we bring tutors in for that. We have a great relationship with Temple Israel, who uh, we've got some young kids that come over and tutor for us on Mondays and Thursdays. So it's one of those things that our stats are not everything, but they give us like a little bit of a, a bird's eye view into kind of what the experiences are within our families and within our student experiences. You touched a little bit upon some of the challenges you're having. What are some of the other obstacles and challenges that you're facing now? So I think one of them would be, I mean, resources. I can always say resources, right? For me, it's more human capital. Like I'll always need money, but I'll always look for money, right? Like I'm never going to stop looking for money. But Finding the right human capital, finding the right people to work and engage kids. I want people that love this work, that it kind of lives in them. Because if it doesn't live in them, it's just a job. And so the approach is different, right? Every day they're looking for five o'clock or six o'clock or seven o'clock. I need someone that will make that impact every day. That is going to, that's going to hug that kid a little bit different because they know that kid needs it today. It's really finding the right pieces. In the nonprofit world, you have to love your job. Yes. If you don't love it, you know, if, if you don't have a purpose, if there's no passion in your purpose, yep. you got to get out. Otherwise, okay. it'll that's, show. Like you'll start seeing cracks shows. in your veneer, right? It'll show. That's that it. That's day that it's too stressful, that day that it's, it'll show. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know what? You spoke about those two incredible professionals but tell me other community leaders that inspire you, that you admire the most. Who do you admire the most? I think that's an amazing question. So I'm going to tell you, I don't know if you know him. I'm sure you know of him. So Ken Russell, he's not even my local commissioner. So Ken Russell is a city commissioner for like the Coconut Grove area, District 2, I think. 
He's amazing. So one of the things that he really focuses on is kind of our sustainability as an earth, as a planet. And so that touches me near and dear. And so very often in our community, we're always grappling with the, we need food, we need money, we need transportation, we need, but we're not giving our kids kind of some of the things they really need. Like our kids need to understand that they need to be better stewards for our environment and for our earth, right? And so we've partnered with Blue Scholar Initiative, amazing people, and we've partnered with others to make sure that our kids understand their role in our environment and their role on earth. And so I love him for that. I love him for making sure that he knows that Florida has to exist beyond us, right? And so so that's my favorite. And kids don't think about that. They don't think about it. I never thought about it until much, much later. And so we're doing a coral reef project for World Ocean Day, which is coming up in, in June. And anyway, I'm super excited. So I have a lot of love and reverence for him because he's, He's doing the work that gets, you know, in certain populations, it has high visibility, but in our population, very little, because everyone is always saying, we need money and food and, you know, but we also need to build the consciousness of our kids to be servants here too. So what's next for the Optimist Club and you? Like, what are some of your goals? Any projects that we can hear about? So our environmental stewardship component is one of our big projects that's coming up. I'm pushing it. We're doing a Biscayne class on the Bay this weekend, Saturday. I'm going out with a group of kids to test some water pH and do some cool things. So I think that's going to be a big thread for us. But the bigger thing for us is to teach social, social justice and social service at home. I need these kids to understand that while we recognize that right now during your lifespan, that there's some lack, right? That there's some areas that you may need more or you have less. But I want them to understand that you are always in the position to serve now. So Tony, one of the leaders that I spoke about earlier, has started kind of a social justice series that we are launching this summer. And so we're taking kids to all over. We're going to take them on Bright Line, let them see the differences in community kind of as they travel. We're visiting Holocaust museums and it's going to end up with a huge trip to DC where they'll see the African-American museum and then they'll see the Holocaust museum in DC. But I want kids to understand that struggle is not unique to Overtown, right? It's just, it's not unique. It's not unique to any city USA. And we want them to know that there is a way to serve. You just, you find a way to serve. And I want them to understand that we aren't the only ones that have challenges. And so I want to show that to them in a really kind of holistic way. So that, that's my five-year goal to create servants, to not just say we need, and like, we don't always have our hands out. Our hands may just be extended to help. All right. So in theme of all this, give me a quote or a motto that gets you through the day. The day is not over. The day is not over. And you know, another thing I say a lot too, today's not the day to stop drinking. That's what I also say. <laughs> That's a good one. 
I'm sure many of our listeners will appreciate that one. For sure. Absolutely. Today is not the day. Okay. So how about if I asked you, what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? Even though you still look 21 to me. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you're, you look so young. Very young. But if you had to go back and, you know, we all sit and say, hmm, what would you say to your 21-year-old self? Do more. Like, believe in myself more and do more. And I've had some amazing experiences, guys. But I think I always thought, not now. I'm going to try that one day. So I think I would say, do more. I read a lot as a young child, but I think when I started working, I stopped reading. Read more. Because now I can't put things down. Like, I want to read that. I want to read that. Give me that. I want to read it. But I need to read more and do more and kind of really embrace kind of the world. I think my goal was to, I got to make a lot of money. I got to, you know, I've got to do well, right? But I just, I needed to do more and I needed to read more and I needed to have a deeper understanding of kind of like what the world really is. That is great advice. I share some of that with my own kids. So I I completely agree. Tell us a little bit about some volunteer opportunities and possible action steps that we can share with our audience to help you out. Yes. So volunteers can come in a many different. So we have events here that we always love volunteers for. Tutoring is a major one that I would love. And then I want people to come in and share experiences. And they could be completely one-off experiences. It could be how I became an attorney. And maybe there were some falls and some rolls and some bumps and some bruises and some hurdles. But I want them to hear the unique stories of how I got here. It's not always a clean path, right? Like you're kicking stuff out of the way or And so I'm looking for volunteers that can offer kids kind of like, oh, really? By giving them that, oh, really moment? Because I think they think, some of my kids think they're supposed to have it figured out. I am figuring on a daily basis. (laughs) On a minute to minute sometimes. Exactly. All right. You just gave us some great ideas that we definitely want to share with our audience. So we started this podcast to encourage all of you to join us in giving more. We want to live to give more. That's the name of this podcast. So the action steps Aisha just told us about was got to raise money. We can donate funds. We can, you know, volunteer as tutors. We can volunteer sharing our own experiences, our highs and our lows so that obviously the youth of today becoming the adults of tomorrow can see that not everybody's path is a straight line. Basically, nobody's path is a straight line. And the beautiful thing are those curves that get us, you know, to the end goal. So Aisha, this has been great. You can go on the website, www.overtownoptimist.org, and you can see what more opportunities there are there. And of course, follow us on our uh, Live to Give More Instagram, and you will hear this podcast there. So if you guys can all just pick one of the things that we've mentioned today, or if you look on the website, just pick one thing that you can do this week. There are so many different opportunities for you to take to help out the Optimist Club. And we really, this has been enlightening. I knew you would be inspiring because every time I speak to you, you're inspiring. And it's really been a helpful conversation and you've shed some light on some really important topics for our audience. So I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing a little bit about the Optimist Club with our audience. And you're amazing. Thank you.
Aisha, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really thank you. has been amazing. Thank you, ladies. Thank you.